Hey, we'll get started as soon as I can get this guy to sit down in front. Hey, good evening. We are, uh, our first hymn is 317, The Old Rugged Cross. If you'll turn.
we do have uh, a few announcements, obviously. Um, at 6.30 tonight, there's church service. Okay. Um, now, I did see, I do want to mention, too, again, about the, uh, the you know, about the, the concert on the uh, 30th and about bringing pies, because that's obviously very important. There's going to be a precursor to that next Sunday, so bring your pies. The tester will taste them and see if they're adequate. I couldn't find anybody to volunteer, so I put my hand up. Anyway, um, no, seriously, they do need pies and I, uh, for that, if you will, bring them. Um, I'm not going to read all these. We know about the housing now being taken care of. Uh, Frank's got that all squared away. The VBS teachers are there. And like you said, they're still needing some volunteers. And, of course, uh, Grief Share, uh, beginning on August 20th and running through November 19th. We'll meet on uh, Tuesday afternoons at 1. So you can get a hold of uh, Wayne uh, Ebling if you have any issues with that. Um, I think pretty much if you have been, you were here this morning. Who wasn't here this morning? I think you were here. If you want more information, you can get one of these bulletins in the window, so I won't uh, exacerbate this uh, anymore. But we'll, uh, at this time, uh, take up our collection. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you again, Lord, before your throne of grace. And Lord, we bring back just a small portion of what you have given to us. It all belongs to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we just thank you for the many uh, blessings you bestow upon us, whether they be, to be material or just this wonderful country we live in. Lord, let us be thankful every day. And we are thankful, Lord Jesus Christ, especially that you would give your life for us, for sinners that we might become heirs, join heirs with you, Lord, in heaven forever and ever. Thank you and pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, good evening. James was a letter written immediately to Jewish Christians who were or had been scattered throughout the world, but ultimately it's written to all Christians because we're all dispersed and oppressed in this world far away from our homeland. And part of James's very specific focus here is the fact that faith without works was dead. That's a major issue in his letter, there, there would be evidence in the lives of believers that would come out, particularly, however, in their treatment of others. All right, That's his focus 
in chapter 2 where one of the main problems among these believers was their favoritism and preference of the rich and influential over the poor and marginalized among them. That is incongruent with the gospel. And so James urges them, in essence, to keep their conduct in step with the truth of And it's in the midst of this that James reveals the centrality of words, right? The, the what and the why of talking. He devotes two solid chapters here. It's very interesting. This is a very interesting text. And he devotes two solid chapters to addressing not just what we say, but why we say it. And he makes these assumptions. Remember, he's driven by the Holy Spirit here, but he makes some assumptions that are very important for us to grasp. And until we are convinced of what the Bible tells us the priorities are, until we honestly believe what it is telling us about us, churches will continue to repeat the cycle that they all go through of birth, growth, conflict, split, and death over and over and over again. And I know that's not what has happened here. I'm not, it's not like I'm gearing this at you, right? It's, it's, it's just there, there, there are certain realities that churches can be places of burden and conflict more than they are places of anything else. There are reasons for that. And the Bible says, brothers and sisters, it should not be this way. We, there is no reason for us to just accept the fact that church is burdensome and filled with conflict sometimes. That, that's, that's not, it's normal, but it's unfortunately normal. It isn't right. And so James puts the focus on the peace of Christ's church on our mouths, on our words on the church and her words. And if, as Jesus teaches, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, James 3, while it talks about the mouth, is actually addressing the heart. And what is God's answer for the human heart? Conflict and the lack of peace are always... The Bible makes things very simple and narrow. Very simple and narrow. Conflict and the lack of peace in the church are always the result of hearts that will not rest in Christ and what He has accomplished. The church then always needs to be rescued by Jesus all the time, every moment, in everything we're doing. Peace with one another in the church depends on our deliberate and increasing realization that Christ has reconciled us to God. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this night. I thank you for those that have gathered here. Lord, I thank you for this text. God, I pray that it would accomplish what you mean it to tonight among we, your people. Lord, would you have your way with us? We, um, we look to you. We look to you as the source of our life and our breath and our salvation. And so, Father, we need you this night. And we need you in this text, and we need you in our church. And Father, we know that you will be with us and will answer. And so we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please help me speak, Father, in a way that honors this text and not my own heart. And I ask this in his name. Amen. Let me read verse 1 of James chapter 3. It's a very 
He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The way this text begins should be very instructive for us. There is an assumption being made in verse 1, informed by the Holy Spirit, that should give us pause in the life of the church. But this is almost a forgotten verse. It's almost a forgotten verse that the Bible actually says this. Why don't we listen to this text? Why won't we respect God's Word on this point, on James 3, 1? The Bible warns against teaching. We are constantly begging people to do it. It's very interesting, right? It's, it's, it's strange. I, and I don't have an issue with our teachers here. That's, that, that's not what I mean. I'm, I'm asking us to consider our mindset towards teaching. Not many of you should become teachers. Why not? Because, for we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I wonder what James thought as he wrote that sentence, as a teacher, right? As a teacher in the church of Christ specifically. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For that reason, not many of you should do it. The Bible does not prioritize activity. The Bible does not prioritize busyness. Right? The Bible prioritizes truth. Truth. If something we are doing cannot be done in a way that respects and submits to the Scripture, maybe we shouldn't do it. Right? And the more people teaching, the greater the potential for error. This is a heavy text. Not many of you, he says. So some should teach, yes, but not many of you. Because to teach is to accept the responsibility that comes with teaching. You will be held to a greater standard of strictness if you undertake to explain the Bible to people. I don't know how that will work out for believers in judgment. I just know it's there. We see it. There will be a greater strictness for the teacher. And we cannot deny, in our day and age in particular, we cannot deny the correlation there is now between the amount of people talking to the church, in the church, about the church, and now on the internet, we cannot deny the correlation between so many voices and the ongoing conflict and lack of peace and doctrinal integrity in the church. There is a correlation. Why is this warning here? Because we stumble when we talk. All right, look, look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Wow. I mean, think of everything that's being said here. Where there are humans speaking, there are humans stumbling. Guaranteed. Every time we open our mouths. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. That's amazing. Able to bridle also his whole body. Translation, no one keeps from stumbling in what they say. No one. I'm, like, I'm a preacher. Talking is what I do. This is a scary chapter. We all stumble in different ways, but all of us stumble when we talk. Everybody's in James 3 and 4. Everybody. Right? In fact, the Bible says that if you don't stumble when you talk, you must be perfect. That's just, that's crazy. You, you must be able to keep your entire body under control. You must be perfect. Beloved, the Bible teaches that the foundation of all discipline and self-control is actually displayed 
in one's ability or lack thereof to control his mouth. That is his words. Look at 3 and 4. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So you put a bit. It's a very clear picture. You put a bit in a horse's mouth. You control the whole horse. Sailing ships can be huge, but a very small rudder turns a ship and directs it and guides it. Notice in verse 4, he adds, wherever the will of the pilot directs. The first part of verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is directed by the will of the heart. We always, this is, this, this is a terrifying thing to consider. And if you're, you're fighting with somebody in your life or fighting with your spouse or something, I don't mean to make it worse, all right? We always say what we mean. Always. I think we talked about this maybe once on, a, on Wednesday night. I feel like we talked about it before. But we like to say, I'm, I, I didn't mean that, I'm sorry. The biblical thing to, to say would be, forgive me for saying precisely what I meant. Right? It, it's, that would be the better thing to say. I, I didn't mean that assumes like that wasn't, that didn't come from within me. That's not, yes, it did. Where, where else did it come from? Right? Where else did it come from? Now, I know, again, right now your inner lawyer is saying, uh no, no, sometimes I don't say what I mean. No, your, your tongue right here, your, your heart, your will is a rudder. If, if your ship isn't going anywhere, that thing doesn't turn it. All right, this is, we cannot dispute this. Don't, don't let that, don't let it push you to Jesus. That's what the Bible is doing. Oh my goodness, I say what I mean? Yep. All the time. Right? Some of us are thinking right now, who did I marry? Like, well, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're messed up. Let it drive you to Jesus. Tongues have massively inordinate power relative to their size. It's amazing what a mouth can accomplish, what words can do or undo. They're both small and great. They boast. Boasting is rarely God-glorifying. That's what tongues do. The first part of this text then is just James trying for a reason to open our eyes with some shock value to how massive of a thing words are precisely because we are not perfect people. Right? Something is busted inside. Sometimes we need shocked with the reminder of our own nature so that we can once more see our desperate and ongoing need for the gospel. It's amazing what words can do. Amazing. Second part of verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Tongues scorch earth. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. Wow. This text is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Are we listening yet? And we think it's a good idea to talk. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. 
there it is. There's the thing James wants his audience to catch. No human being can tame the tongue. It's impossible. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Is anything else in Scripture described like that? Do we understand the schemes of the enemy? Do we understand the schemes of the enemy? And how he is actually infecting our churches? Right? Do we see what... We think it's through the sins and wickedness of the culture that the church is in trouble. Or maybe doctrinal compromises, which are a big deal that we might make. But we're being infected mainly through our denial of our ongoing need for the gospel to change our hearts so that we would not talk the way that we do. You see what the Bible does? It just Our words should reflect hearts that have been saved by grace. Look at, look at verse 9. With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. So make no mistake, these are Christian tongues he's talking about. Okay? The, the Christian tongue. Who's he talking to? The, the church was never an echo chamber. You know, so that's what we want. You, sometimes we want to come in and just hear, Amen, I believe that, I agree with that, absolutely. The church is not an echo chamber. Right? Who's he talking to here? Whose tongues are restless evils filled with deadly poison? The Christian tongues. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. All the apostles embraced what Paul was teaching in Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. That's the Christian's experience. That's guaranteed to be the case when we talk. Right? When we talk. To open our mouths is a risky and dangerous thing. Period. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Verse 11, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers... You see, who is he talking to? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. No human being can tame the tongue. It's impossible. Well, yeah, Tony, but God can tame the tongue. Well, He hadn't done it here. Not here, apparently. And the Word lives. This is never not applicable. There's no heaven on earth to be found with talking. What we hope for is God's grace to so overwhelm us that our mouths at least get curtailed to some degree by this gospel we believe or that we have the boldness to enact church discipline when someone's mouth gets out of control since it's like a tumor. We don't do that anymore. That's mean. I'll tell you what's mean. To let a tumor fester until it kills somebody. That's mean. No human being can tame the tongue. That's we need to. Okay, I agree with that, God. I agree with your assessment of my mouth. No human being can tame the tongue. Here's the reality that gives the point and the urgency to James about our mouths in the church. We bless and we curse with them. We do the same from the same mouth. But fig trees don't produce olives. Great. 
Grapevines don't produce figs and salt ponds don't yield fresh water. Translation, the reason our words are corrupt then is because our hearts are still corrupt. If inside was a grapevine, out would come grapes. He's not denying that they're saved. He's saying it ought not to be this way. You're saved. Right? Even in the church, this is the case. He's talking to the church. But notice now the Bible's path to cleansing here. Look at the first part of verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? See what the Bible... The Bible is saying to us, stop. Stop for a minute. Who has wisdom and understanding among you? The assumption in the Bible is not that there's wisdom in the majority. Right? You see that. Who, who in this group, he says, has wisdom? Right? Who has understanding? The Bible proclaims that wisdom is revealed by that which is gentle. Majorities are not gentle. They're a mob by definition. We win, there's more of us than there are of you. Right? That's not, that's not necessarily wisdom at all. And according to this, most often won't be. The Bible says that wisdom is revealed by that which is gentle. We don't need more majority than here's what we need more of. Here's what we need to listen to, meekness. Right? That's not a charismatic quality. Right? To be led by meekness. Charismatic personalities lead. They're, they're that type A. That's what people want to follow. People don't want to follow meekness. That's why it was foolishness to Greek people. It, was, it wasn't a trait, it was a disadvantage. Then Jesus Christ comes on the scene, the Son of God, and He's meek. Right? He makes it into a virtue. Wisdom does not come then... Hear what the text is saying. Wisdom doesn't come from power. Wisdom doesn't come from fear. We won't find wisdom under pressure and scheming and talking and stoking the fire. But that which comes from hearts that trust God to the point that they've been set free from the anxiety and self-promotion that drive those other things. So much of the discord in our churches is sown by those who are afraid of losing or are bent on getting something they want. We say that again. So much, if not all, of the discord in our churches is sown by those who are afraid of losing something they want or are bent on getting something they want. Wait until we get into chapter 4 next week. Just listen to people talk. Listen to their words. When we're afraid of losing or when we're desperate for getting, we become two things. Quick to speak and slow to hear. And listen to 1, 19-21. Listen to James here. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man. Do you see that assumption there? You see the assumption that when you're quick to speak, the root is anger? You see that? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore... Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The book of James as a whole is a plea to pray for wisdom in the church, 
in the world where our trials and our own wicked hearts will tend to get the best of us to the decree to the degree that it's impossible we could ever tame our tongues that's how restless the human heart is thank god for jesus christ because that's how restless the human heart is Again, if our salvation is up to us for one second, if getting all the way home is up to you and me for one second, we're not making it. Right? We're not making it. We need wisdom in the church, which means we don't need more voices. We need clearer voices. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. In other words, don't talk where there is bitterness, jealousy, and selfish ambition in your heart. I just need to say something. Well, then you probably shouldn't. Right? I'm, th- that's, I, I just, I, I have to say something. If I see so, I have, no, 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 no. Says who? You. Right? We need the wisdom to keep our mouths shut when our heart is corrupted by its desires. Our first instinct when we feel like we have to talk should be to stay quiet and listen. Right? I think that's what the Bible is teaching here. When you feel, I've I got to say, no, now's not the time. Right? Because open mouths burn forests down. And churches are a lot smaller than forests. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. Right? Churches struggle. They break down. They divide most if not all of the time over what someone said at some point right just what someone said or what they allegedly said is there division in the church that does not come from that it's it's just does this mean we never talk then no but why would that be your question i'm not saying it is just i i you know i try like paul to anticipate i'm not paul it's not what i mean but like I, I imagine some of us thinking, well, then what? We just never talk? No, but why? Like, do you have to talk that bad? Right? It's just... We've been taught by our culture that everyone has this innate right to speak up. Right? That's distinctly a part of our culture. Always has been. Always has been. Says who? Who says everyone has the right to speak? Now, again, I don't want to take that right away. Just saying, says who? Like the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't teach that. No one questions, and we talk about things from the outside infecting the church. No one ever worries about that one infecting the church because we want to believe that one. Can we really take from the Bible that we should be speaking up more? 15, verse 15, this. That is, that which will come out because of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Guaranteed. That's what it just said. Guarantee you, if verse 14 is present, it's not the wisdom that comes down from above. The wisdom that comes from above never looks like verse 14. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic demonic beloved make no mistake the devil wants to destroy our churches we have to let the bible teach us how he's trying to do that right because i think i think we we get embedded in the wrong fronts for war 
The devil wants to, to destroy our churches by stirring up our corrupted hearts to destroy and divide one another with our words. Listen. This is all part of James. Listen to 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Who is desire reproducing with to give birth to something? This right here gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do we see it? Beloved, do we see it? The devil doesn't need to bring things in from the outside. He just needs the raw material we give him from our own hearts. Which means, if there was no culture out there, if there was no culture out there, or if our culture was the majority we would still be in trouble because we are in here. The enemy infects us by capitalizing on the corruption that still remains within us. We've got to have a biblically accurate view of ourselves, not a self-deprecating view, a realistic view, a biblically formed view. My tendency is to say wicked, hurtful, horrible, divisive, crass, disgusting, damaging, unspiritual, earthly, demonic things. There's not a Christian in here that can't say that sentence. This is, that's what he's trying to show you. you. We always want, again, we always want to put the onus outside of ourselves. James addresses that from the word go. He's, it's like he said, I'm, I'm going to be talking here and, you, and you're going to want to think, well, it's because of that. We show preference because of this. And our, you know, our, our, we talk this way because of this. And he's saying, no, 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 it's, it's because of you. Right? It, and it's, it's, it's to me. It's to you. It's, it's to the church. We are tempted. So how does temptation come? Well, you have to be lured and enticed by your own desire. That's what temptation depends on. Do we understand that? Temptation is not something that contaminates what is here. It, it doesn't... Temptation has power because of what's already there. That's the nature of... We are not blank slates. We aren't born blank, blank slates. We are not morally neutral people. We are born... We are conceived in sin. We, we the, the minute a human being... Two human beings produce another human being I, I, will, I will never this is dead serious and this isn't a spiritual thing I just it was just a realization when I my wife the way that she told me she was praying with her first child was so great and I opened this card and there's the positive test and it's so exciting and then I heard on the, I started like reading everything I could on like birth and, and you know being a, and I just wanted to study and figure it out and I read that at the moment of they have all your DNA I thought oh I just ruined that kid that's, that's the first thing I thought. And I don't mean that like that was spiritually pious. I just mean, oh, great. There's going to be another me out there. That's wonderful. That's we Again, this is, again, this is where the corruption is. Right? Temptation is not this, this 
powerful force that exists outside of us. It has nothing if there's nothing to mix with it. And it can only mix with what's in here. And do we see the pattern of it all? What the desire, see that, that text? Desire, sin, death. Every time. Every time. We kill our own churches because our hearts come out when we talk. Right? It's just, it's, it's, this text should drive all of us to our knees. And I, I, I don't know why this is, I don't, and I'm not going to try to spiritualize it. I, I, I don't know why this is where we are. I was studying, trying to figure out what to do because we're going to go on vacation. I thought, well, don't start Genesis and do it for two weeks. And then, and this, this is where I ended. I don't know what the point is here. I don't know why this is the message, but it's it's the word of God. We 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 run this. When you look at a text like three one, you look at three as a whole. We we got to again. We're not being pessimistic. We got to realize that at any given moment, our words can set the entire building on fire and burn it down. That that's that's in the Bible, and we're just and part of what James is saying is like stop telling people to talk. Stop it, right? Just. God, cleanse my heart. Turn my eyes toward you. Give me wisdom. This, this is That's where we need to be. Give me wisdom, Father, from above, please. Verse 16, 4. So 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, those are the terms used for earthly human wisdom. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be, again, guaranteed disorder and every vile practice. So, what do we know? Because of this text, if there is disorder in the church, if there is disorder in the church, if there are vile practices in the church, we know the source. We know it. It's the jealousy and selfish ambition of our hearts being expressed through our words. God doesn't view jealousy and selfish ambition as just these natural desires that every person has. They're church killers. They're church killers. We think of desire and vile practices as like, you know, perverted desires that come out in what we would label as vile. And it's not that those things aren't perverted or vile. Of course they are. But so is this. So is this because of this, right? In the church. Disorder is always the fruit of selfish ambition. Every time. That's why it has to be intolerable. Disorder is not the fruit of wisdom. It's the fruit of selfish ambition. We don't normally lay the blame for discord at the feet of our own heart's desires. Again, all of us tend to think the problem is in the system or in the other person, but the problem is the difference between what's from us and what's from above. Notice the contrast James reveals in verse 17. But the wisdom from above, to again, two realms, is first pure. It's the first thing about it. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Imagine what the church would be like if that was what created the environment and the culture. The wisdom that comes from above when it rules over and is sought by all. Imagine a place like that. What wouldn't there be? Disorder. Vile practices. Selfish ambition running the show. 
everything that describes the wisdom that comes from above is also discernible. Do you notice that? Just like the wisdom from within, from the earth, is known by its disorder and every vile practice. And God has told us how to recognize what is from within and what is from above. The first trait of wisdom from above is that it's pure, which means it couldn't have come from within people that can't tame their own tongues. So it didn't come from within us. This is the wisdom from above. It's peaceable and gentle. The exact opposite of the fruits of human wisdom in verses 14 and 16. Right? The exact opposite. It's open to reason. One of the primary ways we know we're dealing with jealousy and selfish ambition talking about matters of preference or, des- or desire, is when a person can't be reasoned with. That's the first sign, according to the Bible, of a person ruled by jealousy and selfish ambition. That they aren't open to... There's no discussion. It's my way or the highway on this thing that does... Like, if the Bible doesn't tell you how to think about something, we lose all our authority. And now we need to defer. Right? But we don't defer. What do we do? Majority rules. Just doesn't feel healthy. Right? Well, who should be making the decisions? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I do, but we don't listen. Everything that describes the wisdom that comes from above is discernible. It's pure. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere, which means it has to be based on objective realities, not on personal preference. Why would we ever let our churches be shaped by the desires and preferences of people? We must be shaped by the wisdom that comes from above, not the wisdom that comes from within, not the gut. Ever. Are we hearing James in this text, which is the same thing as asking if we're listening to the Holy Spirit? Listen to Proverbs. Listen to how the Bible has been telling us about. Listen to Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, not open to reason, but only in expressing his opinion. The Bible calls expressing your opinion foolish. The pleasure of fools. We put a premium on it. That's the commentary on humanity. Like, we put a premium. Everybody should be able to... Okay. I mean, <laughs> I mean, really? 18.7, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Is, is there anything... Is there, is there a greater rush than when somebody comes up to you and does one of these? tell you about something but you can't tell anybody else okay i heard something right i, I mean it's just it's such a i'm going to be privy to secret information right that is like a snack to the soul our souls are like oh yes hope this is a buffet and i can get as much as i want tell me tell me tell me right we just we just, we just love it that's what that's why divisive people that want to sow discord are always scheming whispering playing divide and inform and conquer. Why? Because we respond to gossip like it's a snack. That's what we're corrupted. Therefore, we corrupt and are corruptible. We, we need to realize this about ourselves. Don't trust yourself. Question yourself. 
I'll never tell my 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 precious little kids that I'll never tell them. Well, follow your heart. No, don't follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart, because your heart will lie to you. You should absolutely do that. You should absolutely go after that. You should absolutely say that. You have every right. And what happens? Things burn down. That's what happens. Lives get destroyed. Families split forever because somebody said something at a family reunion and other people will not forgive. It's horrible. I mean, our words are never neutral, beloved. They're never neutral. We have to recognize our words as what they are. They're the expression of our desires. That's what words are. The expression of our desires. So if our desires are corrupted, our mouths will show it. Right? The mouth is going to go however the heart directs it to go. Just like a rudder steers a ship. Or a a bridle steers a horse. Bitten bridle steers a horse. 18, Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's, that's an amazing statement. Churches live and die. Again, we're trying to, trying to keep it in context here. What's his point in saying all this? Why is he saying all this to the church? Because churches live and die based on how the people inside of them talk to each other. For any church, again, this is not some indictment on you. But for any church, are we ever thinking that that's where the root issue is? That you know what we talk. That's where the root issue is. We talk, and the question James is asking in all this is, then how does the church reap the peace that displays her as those who have been made right with God by His grace and mercy? How are we going to do that when from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing? That's that's where he's going here. What so something has to shape and inform the hearts of the church other than what we just think and feel. What's going to shape the church for peace and grace and mercy and love can't come from within us. So we all, we all, me included, need to constantly be taking a step back from I have this thing I want to say, I have this thing I need to say. Whether it's in a personal little moment of conversation or in some agenda, you, you got to step back. you got to step back. Verse 18, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. By those who make peace. That's where the harvest of righteousness is. It's it's, it's sown in peace by those who make peace. What church doesn't need a harvest of righteousness? The scorched earth the tongue creates is undone by the new and better seed that is planted and grown by those who sow peace. Again, words are never neutral. We are always sowing with our words. Always. Every word has an agenda. Every word has an agenda. You say, how am I supposed to keep track of all that? Really? I mean, how am I supposed to keep... Don't keep track of Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. No human being can tame the tongue. Don't walk out here tonight. My ambition is to never say anything ever again. That will tear... No, no. No, that's not where your hope is. It'll take you about an hour. Okay? It'll take, just take you, it'll take you one conflict. It'll take you... And by the way, saying... No, I don't mean to gossip. Does not make it not gossip. Right? 
I don't, I, I don't mean to say, well, then don't. <laughs> but if, if, if a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, then we will never happen into peace in the church. Right? It won't just eventually happen. It, it's got to be mended. It's got to be cared for and cultivated. We don't stumble into peace. We don't achieve it by accident. And according to this text, we should never kid ourselves by thinking we'll achieve it by continuing to cater to the desires of the flesh for influence and opinion and preference and control. Right? We need to be able to recognize when we're hearing angles, right? And just and when we're speaking them and, and, and just jockeying for position by the way we talk and who we talk to and play, I'm gonna say it like this and I'm gonna put this bug in his ear. This is what we do. Again, a restless evil, it never stops, filled with deadly poison. Right? If, 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 if deadly poison is restless, it's dangerous. Right? It doesn't just sit on the shelf in the lab. It's busy to infect. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean Jesus is not here. He's saying He is here, and so are we. And here's what He's like, and here's what we are like. Here's what His wisdom is like. Here's what our wisdom is like. Peace will never come by human wisdom. Ever. It will never come by human wisdom. Which is why I, I, I can't... I'm just sharing my heart with you, which is not a good thing. I can't stand it when we don't have the Bible to fall back on in making a decision. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I don't know what to do about it. Because I know there's things we have to do that we don't have verses for. I don't know what to do. I'm just sharing, like, I don't know what to do. Because I don't want this. I love this place. I don't want this. In Romans, we have to ask ourselves what we are sowing by our words, right? What am I about to put into the ground here? Right? Just, are we set up as a church? Are we set up to reap peace or are we set up to stoke constant conflict? Right? Those are the things we need to be asking. In Romans twelve eighteen, to the degree that peace with one another depends on us, we should live peaceably with everyone. We could always choose to pursue peace instead of our own way. We could. I mean, we could. I don't have to get my own way here. I don't have to get my own way. And if if, if peace in a situation depends on us not saying what we feel. If peace in a situation depends on us not saying what we want or not fighting to get what we want or keep what we want, then it's a sin if we create conflict by choosing instead to open our mouths. When we seek to shape the culture of our church overall, we just need to make sure we're not inadvertently, accidentally fueling conflict, right? It's, but are instead working for peace. That, that we, again, you've you got to sow it. it it's it's got to be intentional. Each one of us needs to own James chapter 3, right? The preacher included. This section on the church and her words is going to end with the admonition from James in 4.17. This, this absolutely just devastating sentence. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You know, we always think if we can keep from doing certain things, we're, we're pretty good. And then you read that and you're like, well, for Pete's sakes. Right? When? How often? Again, the Bible is just going to imprison everything under sin. 
so that we need Christ. That, that That's what it's going to do. And then sent paragraphs like this, you're like, well, for crying out loud. Right? No human being can tame the tongue. What are we going to do? We all talk, right? Beloved, we sin when instead of being intentional about peace, we insist on our own way, our own desires, our own plans, our own preferences, and it doesn't matter what they are. Right? The, the, the preference you have might be a neutral thing. The minute you think, I've got to have it, now it's, it's corrupted, and it's going to corrupt everything. It's going to be like flames spewing out of our mouths that catch things and people on fire and burn them down. The scorched earth of just, I said what I wanted to say, I, I got my way. There's scorched earth behind all of us. It's just scorched earth. When we know we should be seeking to make peace, we better make sure when what we pursue is going to lead to conflict, sometimes it's unavoidable, we better be sure when that's the case that we're on the side of Scripture and never on the side of personal preference or desire. There's just, there's just no room in the body of Christ for preferences, even if they're the preferences of the majority, to, to prevent the church from having peace. That the, the two don't, having the majority does not cancel out the command to make for peace, right? When we read James's description here of how impossible it is that we can tame our tongues, we have to realize the implications of that for the life of the church. We don't need more human input and wisdom in the church. We need less. The less man-made words, the better. The less man-made words, the better. We, we, we treat the church like we can run it and keep it in line by our ingenuity and our ideas and our contributions. They're all earthly. They're all earthly. We need less us and more Jesus all the way down into the details. We need the meekness of godly wisdom, not the cleverness of human ingenuity or the deceptive poison of human preference. We, we, we need to let Christ run the church. When will we rise up and question methods in order that we might be reoriented around the gospel? We're, we're not bound to continue patterns that keep us enslaved to the wickedness that still resides in all our hearts. Why are we feeding that monster when we are, when we are? Those things makes us, make us each other's victims rather than brother and sister. Right? Then everybody's just in the way of what we want. We want what we want so much, we'll kill people to get it. Wait till we get to chapter 4. Right? But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Galatians 5.15, another letter to a church. I, I, I just want you to know, okay, this week and that week, next week are not me responding to anything, all right? And I feel the need to say that because I know we preachers can do that. I know we can do that. We have the pulpit. So we can just use the pulpit. I, I know that. I've done it. I've done it. This is like preemptive. You know, as I look down the road at us, at, at this just we need to get these things out there. Get them in the air. Right, get us looking. This text doesn't mean that we can't talk. Right, it, it doesn't mean that every word, every word that comes out of our mouths is sinful and driven by jealousy or selfish ambition. It doesn't mean that. It does mean, however, that I would not be wrong to assume every word is coming from selfish ambition before I assume I'm right and have every right to say what I'm saying. 
I don't know that, that apart from Christ we can see a time when, you know what, I feel like I need to say this, I'm going to say it, ever went well. Right? Not, not if James chapter 3 is true. And look, I've, I've done that. I've done, I'm not above you. I've done that. I do that. Right? So it, it, it's thinking, just, just having, by God's grace, just that, that, that initial step back and whoa, that would, would be the wisdom that comes from above because at the very least, it's open to reason. Right? It's at least open to reason. Verse 17, we have to stop assuming our own rightness, probably. We all tend to work from there in every aspect of our lives. I'm right. We don't even question ourselves. Right? We don't even question ourselves. We trust our own desires. We trust our own hearts. The problem is we're still earthly. Our wisdom comes from ourselves and from this world. What is the wisdom of God? If we use, if earthly wisdom is to use words for power. What is it to hear that the wisdom of God is Christ crucified? Crucified. He was right. He was right. He was holy. He never sinned. And and what does he do with with he was the son of God in human flesh? Absolutely at any moment. At any moment, you know what? I'm not doing this. Open the floodgates and burn these people alive. I'm not doing this, right? At any moment, all that power, he gave it up. How, how can it be wisdom when he's right? It just, it just is. The, the wisdom of God is displayed in Jesus dying for us because we're sinners. How is the wisdom of God displayed in something that looks so stupid to do? Because we're twisted. Right? The reason the cross is foolishness to us is not because it's stupid, it's because we can't see the wisdom in it. We, we just, it just doesn't look like wisdom to us. That's not how you win. That's not how you, you don't die to live. You don't lose to win. You don't give to gain. And that was his whole platform. He's so perfect. Jesus died for us because we're sinners, so sinful that his death was the only way we could have been saved. The cross is God's eternal pronouncement of our innate guilt. Right? And we have this innate sense of rightness all the time. It would therefore be wisdom to start everything in the shadow of Calvary. Where in His mercy, Jesus Christ, look at verse 18, where in His mercy, Jesus Christ sowed a harvest of His righteousness to make peace for us. First between us and the Father, absolutely, but also between one another, That's why why the apostles said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my brothers and sisters are dwelling in unity. Such a rare thing. Because the Bible's unclear? No, because we want, we want, we want, we want, we want, we want. Just, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's, There's wisdom that comes from above. Our mouths are in the way of realizing this. Because they express what is in our hearts. And according to this text, our hearts are still prone to what is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Out of these mouths come blessing and cursing, and it is not meant to be that way. When we trust ourselves, we reap discord and division. 
Let us reap what Jesus has sown in the church. Peace, righteousness, not what we want. Salvation is the reconciling of God and man. The greatest gap between two parties in the history of the cosmos itself has been bridged in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Only He could accomplish such a thing. And He has. He has. Peace with God is the result of the work of Christ. He literally accomplished reconciliation. So our inability, right? Our inability to reconcile across a much shorter distance than the one between heaven and earth, but just from me to you and you to me, our inability to reconcile across a much shorter distance between each other has to be our own personal denial of the power of what Christ has done for us. There can't be any other explanation for it. Again, James doesn't say, check your heart, you're probably not saved. No, you're saved. You're in the body. You need to know this about yourself, about ourselves. If peace with God has been achieved, the only thing prohibiting peace between one another is the wickedness that lies within our hearts because we're still a part of this world and we won't give it up we won't a brother offended is harder to win than a walled city like why because we just look we don't forgive each other we don't and we'll hold people at arm's length for a slight real or imagined for like until the day we die it's just it's a, it's a it's a tragedy it's just we look back behind us there's a wake of just broken relationships why well probably because of something we said at some point and and i my point here is not to leave you all bruised and bloody tonight i i know it's but like that this is when christ starts to starts to you're like oh yeah i i need him i need him peace with God has been achieved, how is peace between us not achievable? Right? It, it, the church and her words need the wisdom from above where Christ has sown the righteousness that makes for peace. We need the wisdom to come from the right hand of the Father. Peace with one another in the church depends on our deliberate and increasing realization then that Christ has reconciled us to God. I read a book years ago called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. There's peacemaker studies, peacemaker small groups, peacemaker, and it's it's a good book in its own right, but I mean, did it make peace? Nope. No, I mean, not really. Peace doesn't come naturally. What is natural to us is worldly. So we need the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts so that the wisdom from above might rule in the church. We need to believe the gospel. We need to understand all the time that we've been reconciled to God. All that beef God had against you and I, legitimately, none of it imagined. None of it imagined. None of it incorrect. Everything he knew that I had done, I had done. All of it. I was 100% guilty. 100,000% guilty. And he washed it away and brought me into his house and set me at his table. That's what we need. And I'll need it in an hour a lot more than I need it right now. 
we need it. We've been reconciled. There's peace. There's righteousness. It's ours. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Let's, let me close in prayer. I'll be down front if you need to pray about anything. Father, I thank you for the time that you've given us tonight. I thank you for your word. I, I thank you for everyone being willing to listen. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we go from this place. Be with us in these next moments. Lord, let us slow down and, and consider your word tonight. I pray and ask these things for your namesake in our midst and for the hope and joy and peace of your church. In the name of Christ, amen.